right, good morning. Good morning. In case there are any teenagers still in here, um, they all left. So if you want to go with them, they're, they're out this door right here. <clears throat> uh, sixth grade and up, sixth grade and up. So some of them might not quite yet be teenagers. Well, happy Mother's Day to all you moms. Thank you so much for all you do. I want to uh, honor you this morning by um, making you stand up. I don't know if that's honor or torture or what, but uh, we want to see you. We just want to see you. And I want to do this generationally, if you would. I want to do it generationally. So if you're a mom uh, in your, either a mom or a mom-to-be in your uh, below 29, 29 and under, if you're a mother or a mother-to-be, would you stand up? Do you mind? I know you're tired. A mother or mothers to be. All right, you got to stay up because I'm going to have the I'm going to have them join you as we go. All right, uh, all right. You see all these right here? These these are busy. They're busy and doing so much in their life. All right. <clears throat> How about if you're in your 30s? If you're a mother in your 30s. All right. Okay. Mother in your 30s, still coming? Still good? All right. How about a mother in her 40s? Now, these are the experts right here. These moms standing up with confidence. It's like, you got an issue, you got a problem, you want to know what to do, come and ask me. 40s. All right, how about your 50s? 50s, any moms in their 50s? All right, all right. These moms are tired. They're tired because some of them have grandkids. Some of them may have grandkids, and those grandkids will wear you out. Uh, moms, any, anybody... 60 and up. Any moms? 60 and up. 60 and up. All right. All right. Now, if I could have... Moms, thank you. Stay up. Thank you. Could I have all the ladies stand up? All the women standing up, if that would be good. I'd love to say a prayer, a blessing for you. If you're a female in here, uh, I'd love to have you standing. And... Um, uh, I want to pray for you, <clears throat> all right? All right. If you're not sure, uh, ask your neighbor, okay? <laughs> I think you're all sure in here. Let's pray. God, thank you for these women, beautiful women. Thank you so much for all they do in our lives. Thank you for what they've done for generations. Lord, right now there might be some in here who, who've, who've lost their mother. Their mother's no longer with us, and we... We treasure those memories. We thank you, God, for all that they played, the part they played in our life. I pray for these moms, Lord, who are grandmothers. Oh, what a joy. What a reward for them. I just pray that you bless them, give them strength to keep up, just to keep up. And, Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom to know when to say no. I pray, God, that you'd be with all the mothers below that, especially these young ones in their teens or 20s pray, God, that you would give them wisdom and, and, and blessing as they try to figure out how to start a career or juggle a career or be a stay-at-home mom, and just give them wisdom in that, Lord, and help them to see uh, the, the priority of their life in the life of their children. I pray for all these in between. Lord, just bless them so much today. Just remind them of how good uh, uh, they are and, and how good they are to us, and we thank you. Lord, let us be grateful for that. 
Hear our prayer today as we offer this blessing in Jesus' name, amen. Fellas, let's give them a hand before they sit down. All right, all right. All right, thank you so much. You know, uh, we're in our James series. It's not a Mother's Day acrostic. We're gonna carry on in James. We took a little break last week and you got Russ up here and, uh, and I'm glad you're back after that. Uh, I love Russ. Russ is a great guy. We, we like to rib each other on stage. But uh, you're back, and we're back in James, and I really can't think of a, a better passage in James than the one we're going to cover today for mothers, uh, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6, and see if you don't think of your mother in some way here. But he gives more grace. Anybody's mother named Grace? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, let's be honest. Nobody can humble us like our moms. No, nobody has seen us top to bottom like our mothers, right? She knows us. She's been modeling humility. She's keeping our secrets because she knows all since day one. Now, although although her efforts may not be completely working, listen, if your kids aren't perfect, you don't blame mom. You blame dad. Amen? You blame dad. It's his fault. And that's the hard thing about being a mom today. You're raising your kids and your husband because he's just a big kid. It's all he is. I mean, really, some of you moms in here, listen, some of you, at some deep level in your life, you know why Mother Bear's porridge was too cold. Right? If, you, if you're not sure, then ask, your, ask somebody else. One little girl asked her mom if she was adopted. Her mom said, no, not yet, but we're still waiting for someone to come and claim you. You know, kids today are unlike any other generation and they're so smart educated they got all this electronic stuff and tv and all this stuff. they're so smart today i was uh, in a store not too long ago and i heard a little boy i heard a little kid ask his mom for some personal space she was trying to tell him this she said i need some personal space boy you should have seen her response she said listen to me young man you came out of my personal space. Don't tell me you need any personal space. Yeah, you know, someone said that a good mom lets you lick the icing off the egg beaters, but a great mom turns the beaters off before she lets you lick them. <laughs> I think my daughter, uh, Jordan, she was on stage here, and her husband are doing a great job. They have two little boys, my little grandsons, the other day, my wife, Mimi, was kind of watching them while the parents were gone. She was on the deck of their house, and <clears throat> little Emmett, we call him little E, he went underneath. And Mimi said, Emmett, don't you go under there, because Mimi's not coming down there to help you if you need it. He said, that's okay, Mimi, I'm a boy. This is my job. Any boy moms out there? Yeah, they'll do a lot of stuff. Now, my daughter, like her mother, loves a clean house. 
I mean, when I say loves, I want you to underline that and italicize that word. I mean, if you set your cup down too long, it's gone to the sink. Well, let's be honest. Cleaning your house with kids in the house is like brushing your teeth eating Oreos at the same time, right? It's tough. You guys have a, a tough, uh, tough way to go. But you do it. You do it, and it's not all about a clean house, is it? Let me say it again. It's not all about a clean house, is it? If you believe that, t- talk to my daughter. <clears throat> well, let's get back to James. I just think moms are so special. And, uh, you know, I, I went down to see my mom on Thursday. Her birthday was, I'm sorry, on Friday. Her birthday was Thursday. And I went down on Friday and, and uh, texted her this morning. And uh, when I ever see her, I see it's your favorite son. It's your favorite son. And she knows who it is. She said, Carrie? I said, oh, no, no, that's my younger brother. James is, uh, is a book that could have been written by moms. It really could have. This is so practical, so practical. James is a book that's not deep in theology. It's about behavior. And I don't know if you remember the tagline we've been using for this series. The tagline we've been using is this. You can, in fact, read it with me. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look different. Clean up your act. James was written by a guy who was interested in behavior. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Remember, he was a skeptic before Jesus died. He didn't really believe. He was one of those kind of stood on the outside, the fringe of the crowd and watched things. And he and his other brothers and sisters could not fathom the fact that their older brother was God, that he was the Messiah. But when Jesus went to the cross, that changed him. And especially when Jesus came back from the resurrection, the Bible says, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, that James got a personal appearance and it changed James' life. It changed his life. And when Jesus comes into your life. It should change your life. And when I say change your life, I'm not talking just about changing your heart. I'm talking about changing the way you live. The title of the series is a faith that what? That works. It's a faith that works. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life will look different. And when you handle, uh, you know, when you handle troubles and trials, tribulations, it, it, when your faith is put to the test, when hard times come your way, I mean the hardest of times, the loss of someone or something, then your, your, your life will look different than someone who doesn't know Jesus. It's going to make a difference in how you talk, what you say, how you listen. And we saw recently how, how you choose to live your life. And I want to tell you folks something. There's only two ways to live your life. There's God's way or there's the world's way. There's no hybrid model. There's no I'll live God's way on Sunday and I'll live the world's way Monday through Saturday or any variation thereof is there's only one way. If you're trying to have one foot in the, in the church or one foot in God's way and one foot in the world, then God says, you're not living my way. This is, this is the choice we have to make. And I believe the closer we get to the second coming of Christ, 
the closer we get to the end times, the more stark the contrast is going to be. I, I think if you look at the world, if you've been along, alive uh, long enough, and maybe 20, 30, 40 years, and especially the older you get, you're seeing a difference in the world today. What used to be okay, I mean, it was okay for the world to talk about the church, talk about Jesus, talk about righteousness, talk about honesty, talk about respect, talk about value, and all these things. Today, that's not good. Today, it's, uh, it, it's some kind of uh, uh, extremism or some kind of old-fashioned lifestyle. And we've seen this in our very lifetime. The closer we get to the end, listen to me when I say this, the closer we get to the end, the easier it's going to be for those with spiritual eyes to see the difference. And that's everywhere you look. And so we need to start using our spiritual eyes. Well, today we're going to talk about the topic of this passage uh, James chapter 4, 6 through 12. And the message title is, It's a Faith That Works When You're Humble. Now, this is expository preaching. We're just going to do a point at a time and let the Scripture tell us what it wants to tell us. But I believe as I look at this that the, that the key here, looking at the overall theme, is humility. It's a faith that works when you're humble. So the question we want to answer today is why is humility necessary for an effective faith? Why is humility necessary for an effective faith? And we'll just start it out. <coughs> Excuse me. Number one, because God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. That's what we read in verse 7. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jameson, would you hand me that water on that front row? <clears throat> Thank you. Now, listen, if there is a lesson that we all should already know, thank you. If there's a lesson that we should already know from just reading the Bible or just living life, it's this. You do not want God against you. You know what I'm saying? Say out your amen. <clears throat> you don't want God on the other side I mean hopefully your parents taught you the stories when you were young David and Goliath David and the Philistines Daniel and the lion's den we could just go down a litany of stories where every single time there was a minority or a, a minority of number and there, there was a, there was a, like Gideon, you know, parroting down his number from thousands to 300. But the difference was that God was on their side. And so they won the battle. But if God was on the other side, they were going to lose the battle. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says, if God is for us, help me out here, who can... <clears throat> and so... Um, the, this idea is seen all throughout the Bible, and you do not want God on your side. So the one reason not to be proud is that God does not like pride. I'm talking about the selfish kind of pride. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, the Bible says, <coughs> excuse me, toward the scorners, he is scornful, but to the humble, he gives favor. 
have you ever had a tickle on your throat and it's just there it's like something's growing there and it's flapping if you, uh, I don't see anybody in the back so <coughs> I, I, that's okay I don't need any candy thank you Beth <clears throat> I do know the first service will be online now <coughs> so it's, it's all it's free for all now I can say whatever I want so God opposes the proud. Let's try to get back on track. <clears throat> Peter kind of says the same thing here, 1 Peter 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. This is the same thing James says. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is enough for us to know that humility should be our way and not pride. God opposes you if you're prideful. Secondly, a humble heart submits to God. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 7, the rest of verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen to verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. <clears throat> this word submit here is the Greek word, hupotasso. Will you say that word with me? Can you say it? Hupotasso. It's not that hard, is it? They thought Greek was hard. This word means literally to place oneself under or to place oneself under an obedience. <clears throat> the Bible talks about submission 10 or 12 times in the New Testament. For instance, one, two, three, four times in the New Testament, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands. And we're not going to focus on that one today because it's Mother's Day. And we don't want to get in trouble today. Let's come on guys let's stay out of trouble <coughs> but you know the, that same passage in Ephesians says that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so we're not just submitting to a husband we're submitting to one another but I want to tell you something this is resistant today I've even done weddings where in the premarital counseling I'm like which passages are we going to read and they're like what about that Ephesians 5 passage the husband usually mentions that what about that Ephesians 5 passage and I'll say you mean the one that says wives submit to your husbands he said yeah that one and I'm telling you the dirty looks I get from uh from the girl not all of them but I have <clears throat> I have had at least once or twice a young lady say we're not reading that one and I said yes ma'am we're not reading that one I'll tell him we're not reading that one you know it's their wedding they have to come to that but it does say that and there's a reason for that there's a reason for our leadership in the home and in the family in the church you know in Hebrews 13 we're told to submit to the leadership of the church because the work is not easy it's pressure and there's supposed to be men of God and of great pastoral responsibility and let's be honest, although our culture pushes back on this word submission, you know, our culture struggles with submission, submission to authority. We, we submit, we do this, we know how to practice this. When we go to school, hopefully, moms, dads, you're teaching your kids to submit to the authority of the teacher or the principal. <clears throat> what kind of school is it where there's no respect for the authority of the teacher unfortunately we are seeing today where that's uh, that's being lived out there is no respect but we're supposed to teach that we're, we submit to our employer when we take a job 
We don't get to go in and say, all right, now that I've been hired, I'm going to show up at this time, take my lunch for this long and at this time, and I'll leave at this time. We don't get to do that, and I'll dress the way I want to. No, and we submit when we join the military. We join the military. We don't get to say, uh, you know, the, my, the, first, the first real thing that I heard when I first joined the Army, I went to basic training, and I heard this four-letter word. Like, what in the world is this? this mean and finally i figured it out pretty fast when i got this drill sergeant in my face uh anybody been to basic training <clears throat> anybody been to basic training and the word was a four-letter word and not what you think it was the word d-r-o-p how many of you know what d-r-o-p means it means drop what are they talking about richard yeah you drop what you got and get down there drop down there and start pushing them out and we heard that word drop 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 and so you don't get to say, no, I don't want to drop today, drill sergeant. I don't feel like it. My fingers are hurting. No, you don't do that. What kind of a military would we have if we couldn't even obey the uh, orders of higher ranks or, or our, um, our commanders? Yet in this culture, we have a problem with it. We have a problem with authority and submission. And if we have a problem with human authority, guess what? We're going to have a problem submitting to God. And James says it's going to show in your life. Submit to God. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be a doormat for others to walk on. <clears throat> I'm not saying that you need, to, you need to do everything anybody tells you to do. But I'm saying if they're in authority over you, you should. And if God is telling you to do something guess what he's in authority over you because the bible says in proverbs 16 pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall <clears throat> it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud need a humble heart humility is necessary because it leaves room for god and gets you out of the picture in your heart this is critical to your spiritual growth let's continue to answer the question as James does why is humility necessary for an effective faith because a humble heart weeps over sin and hypocrisy <clears throat> listen James gets a little blunt here listen to what he says here in verse 8 9 and 10 he says cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep this doesn't sound like the bible does it let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you what is james talking about here he's not pulling any punches is he you know it seems like there's something going on that he knows about that we only can get a glimpse of because of what he's telling them it seems that there were christians there were people in the community he was writing to who were saying Jesus has made a difference in my life but their life didn't look any different in fact you remember Jesus one time told his disciples that the the Pharisees and the scribes they will try to lord it over you but that's not the way you're supposed to be you're supposed to be humble you're supposed to be last you're supposed to come in on the bottom because the last will be first and the servant will be the greater and, and so um, what he's talking about here is some people who had 
pride in their heart. Sinners, double-minded, speaking out of both sides of their mouth, saying one thing, doing something else. He's saying, look, you shouldn't be happy about this. I think maybe James was in the crowd when Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. Listen, if you want to read a butt-chewing, can I say that? I, can't, I think I can now. If you want to read a butt-chewing by Jesus, yeah, he did some butt-chewing. You turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, he was talking to these Pharisees, and man, he was giving them both left and right. <clears throat> For instance, I picked out just a small passage. I think James was there. I think James used the same kind of language over here, but they heard his brother use him. Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's a bad word. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And he goes on a whole chapter of Matthew 23 and just gives them both barrels because they were hypocrites. They were saying one thing and doing something else. They were happy about the things that made God sad. And they were sad about things that made God happy. If a sinner repented, they weren't happy about that. They think he should do this, this, and this, and abide by their laws. And that's what James is talking about here. He said, some of you are happy about things God is not happy about. And see, that's what pride does. It shrugs off sin. It, it says no big deal. Don't worry about that. God doesn't care about that. So you cheated a little. So you stole something. So you lied about that. It was for the better. You needed to do that to protect yourself. And on and on and on it goes. It was just a little affair. It, it wasn't a big deal. You, you know, it was just an emotional thing. Or it, it was a physical thing, but it was only one time. And, and so... What, what pride does is says, you know, it's, it's her fault. She should have treated you better or you wouldn't be in that position. Or it's their fault. They shouldn't have, you know, they shouldn't have laughed at you. you they deserve what they got. <clears throat> so that's what pride does. Pride shrugs off sin. It says no big deal. But God says that's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to me. And so James says, where you're laughing and boasting and celebrating, God is weeping and you ought to weep. When's the last time you wept over your own sin or the sin of our culture? When's the last time your heart was broken? We, that's the prayer we need to pray. God, give me joy and peace in the things that you have joy in and break my heart over what breaks yours. That's humility. That's a heart that weeps over sin and hypocrisy. And hypocrisy, you know, is that old word where you put on two faces, like, a actor, like an actor used to put on a different face. Fourthly, humility is necessary for an effective faith because a humble heart lifts others up. Let's continue on. Verse 11, James says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
Now, this phrase, speak evil against, comes, one, comes from a Greek word that's a compound word, and the word evil is not even in there. It's just all implied. But this, and, and it's because of what this compound word means. This compound word is katalaleo. Say, say that with me. Let's say the first one. Kata. That's easy. Kata. That means to, uh, against or down. Laleo, you can almost hear what that word means because you're using your tongue a lot. You know the word glossolalia is the word for tongue or tongues. And so this word laleo is the word to speak. So this word literally means to speak down to, to speak down to. And another word that we use in our language and sometimes translated in some English versions is the word slander. You know what it means to slander someone? It's when you use information, usually false, to hurt someone, to tarnish their reputation. You want to say something bad about them because you're mad at them or you're jealous of them. Another word we could throw in here is the word gossip. Gossip is a, is a word that implies that you're just talking this, you're just sharing this, untrue or true, in order to kind of puff yourself up to make you feel better. Oh, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe she fell prey to that. Did you hear that? And so this is all in the same, it's speaking down. And when they find out that you said what you said, how do you think it makes them feel? You think it makes them feel good? Oh man, they're talking trash about me. Now, in some circumstances, maybe there are some people out there who enjoy that kind of thing, but most people don't. It hurts their feelings. You know, one, one uh, uh, fib that mama might have told you was that sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. We know that's not true. And probably dad's the one that started that anyway, you know. It was dad because he wanted us to get up and wipe the blood off. It's too far away from your heart to hurt you kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen? But words do hurt. Words hurt. And if, you know, depending on who says it, the closer they are to you, the more it tears you down when you find out what they said. And James says, this is happening. You need to stop it. Stop speaking evil against one another. Instead, Paul said, encourage one another and build one another up. You remember what mom said? Here's one we'll give to mom. I think I remember my mom saying this. Help me out here, moms. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. That's good advice. That's good advice. I love the verse we read for our focus time. This is one of the best verses for how you speak. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk. <clears throat> I would identify corrupting talk as filthy language. Bad four-letter words not just lies and, and uh, slander, but just stuff that, you know, an educated person shouldn't use those kind of words. But only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There's one more thing that is uh, the reason why humility is necessary for an effective faith. I almost went down after it, but I knew, I knew my back would give out on me there, Gabe. I almost bent, but I could feel it. A humble heart is not judgmental. It's not judgmental. Let's finish out this passage. Verse 12. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. 
There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Now listen to this last question James asks. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Now we have to, we have to look at the greater context of the whole Bible here before we interpret this. And it, by saying that, it's part of what we're going to explain here. <clears throat> James doesn't use the word judgmental. He uses the word judge. Who are you to judge your neighbor? And I want to tell you, this is a popular verse today. This along with a couple more. A popular verse. People will say, you know, if you try to correct them or if you try to tell them this is wrong, that's wrong, they'll say, who are you to judge me? Who are you to judge me? Who do you think you are? Is that true? Can, are we supposed to not judge our neighbor? Well, it depends. My answer is it depends. Depends on who they are. Depends on who they are. Depends on if they have faith. Depends depends on if they say they're a Christian or not. If they're a Christian, then we're going to look at some places where I think absolutely we're supposed to judge. Let me tell you what this word judgmental means. Judgmental is to make a rash decision. It's without, without all the facts or out of spite you're so judgmental we rush to judgment i want to suggest that we be judicious judicious say that judicious delicious judicious that means to be sensible and to take our time and look at the facts and use wisdom to make a decision don't be judgmental a humble heart doesn't rush to judgment Now, we're supposed to judge. We can't rush to judgment. I'm going to show you three places real quickly where we are. The Bible tells us you better judge. You better judge. Now, how do we do it? How do we do it? We do it, first of all, without hypocrisy. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about judging. Again, another popular verse with unbelievers and some believers. He says, judge not that you be not judged. We're like, God, oh, see there, you can't judge me. Jesus said, don't judge me. But let's read the rest of it. You know, you have to take a, you can't pluck a flower out of a wall without knowing the root system there. With the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log? that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Now, this is, a, this is one of those passages of Scripture that Jesus was being funny. I think he was being funny. There's a whole host of these where, where they would have laughed and said, oh, I can see that. It's like a, a, a guy and a girl wearing cowboy hats trying to kiss. You get the idea? I mean, it's like, how do I turn my head here? How does this work? So Jesus is kind of being funny here. He's like, you got a big log out of your eye, and you're walking up to someone, you know, boom, 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 beating them over the head and the body with the log that's in your eye, trying to get this speck out of their eye. It's like, yeah, I can't, you just can't do it. That's hypocritical. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first, that's an important word, first, take the log out of your own eye, And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
And what he's saying here is if the problem you're trying to address, you're dealing with, and maybe you're a bigger sinner in it than your brother is, maybe somebody else should address it. It's kind of a hypocritical thing to tell someone they've got a problem when you got the same problem and even bigger. So we're supposed to judge without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy says, yeah, I got mine under control, though. I got mine under control. No. Now, maybe somebody else should judge that. You work on something else. You work on something else. Start, start by working. Get a chainsaw and get the log out of your own eye. Extract the log. <clears throat> and then you can judge. And when I say judge, I'm saying be judicious. Because secondly, we read again from Jesus that we can judge, we should judge, we have to judge, but not just by outward appearances. In John 7, 24, Jesus is at a feast in Galilee and he's kind of being attacked by some of the Pharisees and the scribes. They're, they're accusing him of having false motives in his teaching. So Jesus said, look, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. In other words, I welcome your judgment, but read all the facts first. Get the whole story. Understand everything I'm saying and not just plucking something out. Again, maybe your mother said, don't judge a book by its what? Cover. No, you got to get, get down there and read. If a guy walks by and he looks homeless, and there's a lot of those folks around here, and he's staggering down the street, you might, as you cross over into the post office lot to get back into your car, think, good, look at that guy. What a mess of a life. And so you're judging by his appearance, but if you went up to him and talked to him, you might find out that, you know, he's homeless and it, maybe, maybe partly his fault, but maybe it's partly not his fault. And the reason he's staggering is because his sciatic nerve's bothering him. He slept on the ground over there last night. And he just, he's suffering. Maybe all he needs is a little bit of help. And so we're not just going to judge by outward appearances. We're going to start reading the pages of his life. That takes time, though, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of investment of energy. But that's what we're called to do. We could say, oh, whew, all those homeless folks, those addicts, those drug users, get away from here. They've all got a story. They've all got pages. And we can help them write the ending. We can help them write the ending. When God told Samuel to go anoint the new king who would take some place, and it's going to be one of the sons of Jesse, Samuel said, oh, I get it. I get it. I understand. I know what you got. I've seen his sons. And man, Abner, that oldest one, He's got to be the one. He's tall. He's handsome. <clears throat> He's a leader. He's a leader. But it was number seven. It was the, the short runt of the litter, David, who the Bible calls ruddy. It just goes to show you, it's not all about being tall. In fact, my wife says it is better to have loved a short man than never to have loved a tall. 
Yeah. So God said, don't look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Talking about Abner, the oldest one. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And that's what we need to seek to do. We can judge, but let's not rush to judgment. Let's read some of the story. And finally, we can judge. We should be judging, 1 Corinthians 5, for true accountability. If you really want to help someone, I mean, you're, you're concerned about their soul. You're going to sit back and let them live their life and go straight to hell because you know what the Bible says, and they know what the Bible says, but they think because you're not addressing it, they're getting by with it, it must be okay. So in 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man in the church there who was living with, sleeping with his stepmother as a husband would sleep with a wife. Paul said, I can't believe this. Even the pagans don't even act like this. Even the people out there in the world who have nothing, no knowledge of Jesus, they don't even live like this. And yet you are letting this go on in the church. He said, if you don't confront it, two things are going to happen. First of all, the community is going to say, good grief, what kind of a church is that? What kind of a fellowship is that that lets that kind of stuff go on and everybody knows about it? And number two, you're allowing them to think it's okay and they're going straight to hell. And so he says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? He's talking about people, not Christians. I'm not talking about judging Christians, he said. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. <clears throat> now, folks, this is some of the hardest stuff to do. It's some of the hardest conversations to have is to talk to someone that you know is living deliberately outside the will of God. I encourage you to try it alone if it's a friend and then get some somebody to go with you. And even if they are church members, get an elder of the church or someone. And we've had to exercise church discipline uh, not very many times, probably not as often as we should have, uh, uh, but we've done it. We've done it. And it's not an easy thing to do. Not an easy thing to do. More often, before we get to that point, they, they are gone. They're gone. But this is, this is the kind of people we are, not judgmental, but judicious, using the whole story. You may hear something about somebody in our church, this church, another campus, somebody else that is in trouble. And maybe, maybe, maybe they're going to go to trial. Maybe they're going to go to prison. But it's not our place to be judgmental. It's our place to look at the whole story. It's our place to say, everybody makes a mistake. The question is, what are you going to do about it when it's done? Repent come back to God I know there are some of you here who may be here with your mother or you may be here as a special <coughs> visit maybe at one time you were walking close to the Lord you were doing what you should be doing but today you're, you're kind of out on the edge you're on the periphery you're, you're wandered wandered away 
What better day to come home than today? What better day? Nobody's going to judge you. We're going to help you. We're not going to be judgmental, let me say. We're going to help you. Because we all mess up, don't we? We all struggle. And we all have to come home in repentance. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you, moms, again, and dads, and everybody here. Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Thank you, God, for offering us forgiveness. Thank you for not looking at our outward appearance like we sometimes do, like Samuel was going to do, but God, you look at our heart. I know you see hearts that struggle and are so divided and pulled by the world. And God, deep down in our heart, we want you. We want a relationship with you. We want to be close to you. Give us courage to act on that. May your Holy Spirit move us in the right direction. And I pray for our moms and dads out there today, Lord, as they raise their children and drive deep into their hearts and minds the truth of your word, that we could be a people of humility. We could be known as a people who love one another and help one another and not eat our own or hurt each other. That's my prayer. God, in Jesus' name, amen.